Well, good morning. A couple of you are awake. I am highly caffeinated, so whatever I'm at, I need you to meet me halfway for this morning. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm the creative arts director here. If I haven't met you, I would love to. I'm normally up here leading worship, and I've got a guitar in my hands. This Sunday is my Sunday to teach. If that's cool with you, awesome. It's going to be a good morning. If not, it's only once a year. You'll get through this. We'll be fine. We'll get, we'll get a professional back up here next week. It'll be fine. Jeremiah, I was talking to him getting ready for this week. He said I should have led worship also and taught at the same time. We're like, um, you were joking about wearing like a ripoff like track suit. We're like, now I'd like to introduce you to the pastor. <laughs> and then be up here and now all of a sudden I'm teaching also. Probably a good idea if we didn't <laughs> do that. Um, I will be continuing in our ethics series this summer. I've really enjoyed uh, Kingdom Ethics, just the opportunity that we've had at a church to take a beat and interact with concepts and ideas and, and ethics stuff and how it relates to Scripture and how that uh, Scripture it should change and affect the church. It's been really good. Matt Edwards had a really, really good sermon last week uh, concerning family, and it was particularly insightful and informative for me. I'm not sure if you're aware, but my wife is going to have our first kid in, or is it we are having our first kid? I think it's we. I got in trouble one time for saying it was her, and I was like, no, this is a team thing. So it's my first kid. I, uh, yeah, thank you. So six weeks or something. I, you shouldn't be clapping. This is a team thing. You're, you're helping. This isn't just me. Don't be too excited here. Um, today we are talking about community. Uh, it's a buzzword in Christian circles or if you've spent time around churches at all. But what if I told you that community is one of the greatest ways God can use you and grow you? Investing in, being a part of, and pursuing God-centered community is how God wants us to live. Living in a godly community is one of the best ways we can point to how big he is. Carl Truman says this, we live in an age in which church is often regarded as an optional add-on to the Christian faith or as a place we go to learn to understand the Bible, listen to music, make some good friends, a context for social interaction. But there is a stark contrast to church in what God wants from us in community and how it typically plays out in our lives. You guys ready to rock and roll this morning? Let's do it. I want to open up this morning uh, with Scripture. Usually a good idea when you're at church to read the Bible. So the first uh, text we're going to work with this morning is Hebrews 10, just to kind of frame our morning in these Scripture passages. This is Hebrews 10. It says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Next, I'd like us to look at Romans 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. It's no secret, church, that people are essentially tribal by nature. We commonly travel in packs or groups, whether in person or connected via social media and technology. We form bonds over shared experiences and are stronger as a team or a group than as an individual. 
We even know that bad things happen when people are alone for too long. It can, inf- it can impact our mental, emotional, and physical state. We were created and designed to be together with one another. It's like the old saying goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Or the famous quote by John Donne, no man is an island. This plays out in our lives. We all belong to some sort of community. Uh, sporting teams and events are like one of the first thing that comes to my mind. Book clubs, Comic-Cons, fandoms, uh, workplace social groups. We belong to these community groups. And none of these are inherently bad. The problem is, like most things, when we take something that's good and we turn it inward and we make it about us. We make it selfish and narcissistic. You know, uh, what can I get out of this? What does this do for me? And this gets us to the contrast of competing ethics for community, church view versus worldview. Here is an ancient rule, church, and I'm sure you're familiar with it in regards to relationships, and it's this. We test a friend by what they can do for us. We test a friend by what they can do for us. It's how you know you've got a friend. And on right off the gate, out of the bat, it makes a lot of sense. You know, if you know you have a good friend, if they show up at three in the morning to pick you up because your car tire blew up or something. Uh, You know you've got a good friend when they watch your dogs for you when you leave town. Thank you, Matt Bloom, wherever you are. He watched my dogs. That's how you know you have a good friend. Um, These are obvious signs that people care about you or have a vested interest in your life. Hopefully, you all can think of at least one person that fills that role in your life because it's it's a good thing. However, uh, despite being able to count on a buddy to show up when you need them to, what separates a social circle of friends and a God-centered community is your walk with Jesus. You can have close buddies that do nothing to care for your soul. The difference between a social group that will watch your kids and then pick up your prescription from the pharmacy and a God-centered community is your spiritual health and relationship with Jesus. A good community will share your interests and bail you out of trouble, but a God-centered community will push you to look more like Christ. Is that tracking? We're all on the same page? Okay, good. Close friends are a good thing, but that doesn't mean that they exist in God-glorifying community with you. I've got good friends that know an awful lot about my life, and they check in regularly and vice versa. One of these buddies, he, um, his wife got pregnant around the same time Kate did, uh, so we've kind of got to share the first kid journey together of being guys and having no idea what's going on and how like what do we do with our hands I don't know and it's just it's been good but he's he's not a Christian and we lead very different lifestyles and and trajectories of of how we operate and that's a great thing I hope all of you have friends that don't know Jesus yet The best thing you can do is demonstrate the radical inward change and the dauntless hope given to us because of the work of Christ. Jesus regularly hung out with people outside of the religious normal setting, and we should also. But I want us to dig into the bedrock of intentional community this morning and not just the peripheral friendship thing. 
Have you noticed, church, how often communities in our culture today and groups are used to leverage power over someone? Exclusion. Communities are often used to either passively or aggressively exclude others. Think about all of those social cliques growing up or at school or whatever. There was definitely a barrier between them and you. Uh, gatekeeping is a great example of what I'm talking about. And gatekeeping is when you've got a person or a group of people that are actively keeping others out or away. Um, as an, I'm a huge J.R.R. Tolkien fan. And when I was prepping for this Sunday, I told myself I wouldn't use a J.R.R. Tolkien Lord of the Rings example because I think every time I've taught for the past three years on like this week, I've talked about Lord of the Rings. But we're talking about Lord of the Rings this morning. Trying to convince my wife to let me name our kid Strider. It's not, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I might get away with a middle name though. We'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, the reason why I, I was thinking about Lord of the Rings is there's a, there's a show in pre-production based in the Lord of the Rings universe. And I was reading about it and I scrolled down to the comment section and there was just a bunch of people getting into the franchise for the first time because the, the movie first one came out like 20 years ago or something. They hadn't read the books, but they were getting into the movies. And there was just the worst, most like hateful, toxic backlash from dudes that were reading the books and they were super involved in the, the world of J.R.R. Tolkien and, and all of the narrative and stuff. And they were just being the worst kind of person to these new people getting into the franchise. Uh, gatekeeping, like essentially these new people. And I, I remember looking at the, t or the, the computer screen and just wanting like, to scream and like, what are you doing? You're on the same team. Like book nerds should not be bullying other book nerds. Like <laughs> it made me more upset than it probably should have. Um, yeah, maybe more upset than probably should have. But people can be so protective of their little communities that they will go out of their way to bar entry from new people or to risk it changing. Uh, image and credibility is another symptom of what happens when we make communities about us. Essentially, what and or who you associate with will either make you or break you in public opinion. What or who you associate with will make you or break you in public opinion. It's not about belonging or being known or pushing others down the road towards Christ. It's about fitting in or not being left out or alone. Essentially, what I'm getting at here, church, is that we have, by and large, become consumers of community. It's something we pick up when it suits us, and it's something we discard when we've gotten our fill of it. So here's my definition of consumerism as it relates to community this morning. It's what we want, when we want it, and at the least cost to ourselves. It's what we want, when we want it, at the least cost to ourselves. We find the right fit for our tastes. We find people that look like us. We find people that have the same interests as us. We find people that dress like us, etc. The absolute Worst thing we can do, church, is to let that into our gatherings. We gather in church communities as people bought and redeemed through the work of Jesus, period. Amen. We gather as valued people loved by God, period. And we gather because of who God is 
not because of who we are, period. To truly be in community is to be known, and to be known requires an element of vulnerability. Otherwise, it's just existing. It takes intentionality and hard work. It's not something that will happen overnight. Have any of you guys seen the show Parks and Recreation? I love that show. I'm not going to spoil anything, but my favorite character from Parks and Rec is a guy by the name of Ron Swanson. I love this guy. I'm not going to spoil the show. But he had a quote that came to mind as I was getting ready for this morning. (laughs) His quote is this. I once worked with a guy for three years and I never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. (laughs) Sometimes we still never talk. (laughs) This guy, Ron, he doesn't like people. You know, I get it sometimes. Like, I get it. Um, I'm sure you can all think of somebody. Lights are on, but nobody's home. You know, not the sharpest beach ball type of thing. A few miles short of a marathon. That one's for me. I don't care if you like it or not. That's, That's my joke. That's my joke. But one of the basic building blocks of a God-centered community church is humble communication. It's, it's talking, it's doing life together. And I don't have to tell you the trigger words or hot button topics or issues of today that immediately set people on the defensive in our modern context. For example, Kate and I were on a baby moon uh, recently it was, it's the last time, we went to like Disneyland and, and Universal got away, and it's the last time that I'll get a chance to do that sort of thing without a little dude following behind, we're having a boy, by the way, uh, following behind, and it's the last time that it gets to like be about me, where I get to be the kid without having to share that spotlight with somebody else. Last time for me to be a big kid. It was a good time. We had a great time. But after the, one of the days, uh, full day at the theme park, uh, we had a driver come pick us up to take us back to the hotel. It was about a 40-minute drive. Dude shows up. His name is Manuel. He's this big German dude from Munich. And uh, so he's, uh, as we're driving back, he's pointing out all these landmarks and stuff in Hollywood and what's going on. And he said something about uh, the state opening back up because of the pandemic and whatnot. And I, innocently enough, uh, at least I thought it was an innocent question, uh, just ask, because he knew our context was up here, Pacific Northwest, Seattle area. And um, so I asked, how, how did California, like, how was it living down here during that stuff? The dude went ballistic, like just nonstop for 40 minutes, like from the theme park all the way back to the hotel. The dude just, and like the longer he talked, he just kept going and getting like more angry and more amped up as he was driving. And me and Cater in the back seat, just kind of like wide eyed, like freaking out a little bit. We get to the hotel, the dude is still ranting. He parks in front of the hotel and like turns around in his seat and keeps talking. So me and Kate are sitting there and Kate went full like um, Jurassic Park, like their vision's based on movement type thing and like slowly reaches over for the door and like opens it and it's like slinking out the side. He's still talking. So I follow her out, like no joke. Manuel gets out of the van, comes around the van and keeps talking to us. And so like we're standing there with our bags trying to get out. Luckily I had money for a tip and I like forcibly put it into his hand. And we're like, thank you. And then we just ran. (laughs) Listening well and conversing civilly, unlike Manuel, are some of the best ways, church, that we can demonstrate tenacious 
long-suffering love? Can we engage in tough conversations and can we model in our church communities such love for our society as a whole on tough topics that so often divide us? If we approach people with a winner-take-all mentality, we will never make connections and we will be actively trying to block God speaking to us through these interactions. And I'm not saying abandon the defense of truth or be a doormat for people that don't think or believe the same as you do. But the difference being, are you hitting first on instinct or are you engaging with open arms and humility on instinct? Need I remind you that Jesus spent a lot of time with prostitutes, thieves, and the worst kind of people. So some questions I want us all this morning to wrestle with, and I'm including myself in, in this because I'm in community with all of you, and they are, they're this. What do we have in common? Shared values. Obviously, if you've been around here at all, if you're new, welcome. But we care about Jesus here. Our values ought to be bound up, directed, and influenced by Scripture. That's number one, church. And we need to make sure that collectively we promote the pro proclamation of the Word of God. Next, what are we missing? Enabling each other. Are we actively setting each other up for spiritual success? Our gatherings on the weekends are only part of what living in God-centered community is all about. Uh, like Ashley mentioned earlier, Connection Sunday is coming up on the 29th. Get plugged into a Bible study, mops, invest in a ministry, and help to build up the church by physically giving of your time and energy so that others will be blessed. Lastly, who are we missing? Make space at the table. This one's easy, easy enough, but very tough. Who are we keeping from feeling safe or welcome in our gatherings? Like I said, Jesus hung out with prostitutes, thieves, social outcasts, and the worst kind of sinners. But he came to them. He made space for them. Are we going to do the same? Are we doing the same? If you felt convicted by any of these questions, and I know I sure did while I was getting ready for this morning, my encouragement to you is this. Do something about it. Don't let this morning be an academic exercise of church talk. Be about it. At the center of everything is a relationship. The Trinity. Um, this is legitimately, church, one of the f my favorite ideas that I've ever encountered or experienced or thought through. I remember going over this concept in seminary and feeling like my brain was going to explode. It's one of those uh, chances that God gives you where you get a, a little peek into his character, into his nature that you didn't have before. And I was just so amped and excited to work. And my appreciation for who God is just grew uh, while interacting with this idea when we strip everything in creation away, when we remove people, the planet, the universe, God remains, and God remains in relationship to himself. Father, Son, 
and spirit. Relationships in community are built into the very fabric of reality. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created. Everything that exists is in relationship to God. Creation exists in relationships. Christianity and our understanding of who God is ought to shape and define our understanding of relationship and community. We are in relationship to God and we are also in relationship to one another. And the reason why this is so important, church, is because once we start to grasp who God is and what his nature is, we are faced with the challenge of becoming more like as we exist in community together. Because God is love, he can love the unlovable. And because God is love, his grace can be given out as an overflow of who he is, not just because he needs us. He is, he is not lacking. He's complete in himself. God pours out his love by giving his son, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The son pours out his love by giving of his life, and God pours out his love through his spirit. And we are to pour out our lives as offerings in relationship to each other, not be consumers of trends or what feels good. So how did God set us up to work together in community? I want us to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at two sections of this chapter, the first being four through seven. It says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. I'm going to skip a little bit and look at verses 12 through 13. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. A lot of us are going to be pretty familiar with this passage if you've been around church. If not, great, I'm glad you're here. That's why we're talking about it. Paul is outlining in this section uh, how God bestows gifting to people of the church, specifically the church in Corinth, and that all giftings are to be used to build up the church, or as Paul says, for the common good. Paul uses the metaphor of a body, and he says that each person in the church is included in that body, making up one small part of a larger whole. One body many parts. In other words, church, one team, one fight. We are in it together. There are no bench warmers here. We are to be actively and intentionally giving of ourselves and our resources for each other. So this is my thousand foot uh, overview takeaway for this section, because I really want us to focus on the implications of living in community here and not the specific breakdown of how we are all individually gifted, which is what we'll find uh, Paul outlines in this section. But I want to encourage you, if you haven't done a whole lot of research or digging on how you are uniquely and wonderfully gifted by God and set up by God to, to bless 
the church and to build it up. Take some time, uh, figure that out. Really encourage you to do that. But if you're taking notes this morning, or if you're listening and you want to log this away into your memory banks, uh, these, are, these are the breakdowns that I want us to take away from this section this morning. Verses 14 through 20. You belong and you are needed. Verses 21 through 26. The takeaway is you belong and need the others. And lastly, in 26 through 31, you belong together, each of you doing your own part. My heart for us, church, is that God will enable us to be a proactive people, to be ready to serve and to benefit others with the gifts and the abilities and the talents God has given to us. On the note of community, I really wanted us to have some practical stuff to take away, uh, to invest in practically in our communities. Some takeaways. One, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. All of the theological training and doctorates or Bible studies or whatever, like it doesn't matter if you're, if you're coming at people aggressively and they don't know that you care about them. You can't effectively care for others unless you ruthlessly care for yourself. Can't pour out an empty cup type of thing. You gotta take care of yourself. I know a lot of you are servant-hearted. You're, you're the self-sacrifice kind of person. Take care of yourself so that you can better bless and engage with others. You can't care for everybody. Jesus had a limit. He had 12 disciples. Encourage others to find their limit until everybody has a place because everybody is taken care for. Lastly, small things can make others feel cared for in a big way. Send a text, shoot a message on social media, email, or phone call. I don't know if people are still like using phones to call people anymore, but call somebody. Like, let them know you care about them. It's not hard, but it takes work. And it takes us centering everything we do around Jesus. Essentially, if you take nothing else away this morning, when in doubt, live like Jesus. We're going to look at John chapter 10. It says this, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, church. He is the sole reason we are able to become unified because of the work of Jesus. We have the opportunity to pursue him. Our community should be dramatically impacted because of Jesus.
So I made the slide for us to interact with this concept. And this is what Jesus does and what the church becomes because of what Jesus has done. Jesus reigns over the church and the church becomes a Christ-like community that reflects his character, life, and activity. Reigns over the world. The church becomes a holistic community that seeks to offer up all of life to the lordship of Jesus. Jesus' wisdom is relational. We become a peace-loving community that is considerate, submissive, merciful, fruitful, impartial, and sincere. And Jesus is glorified by the church. The church becomes a worshiping community that exalts Jesus and declares his sovereignty. At this time, I'm going to invite the band up as we prepare to close out this morning together. Uh, if you didn't grab the communion elements on your way in, now would be a good time to go snag those as we prepare to respond together. But before we respond through communion and song, I want to leave us with some thoughts here this morning. Jesus is the pinnacle of what we should strive to be. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He loved, he gave everything that he had. He laid down his life. Like John 10 says, he is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep and the sheep know him. We know the price of following after Jesus is sometimes costly and difficult. I think most of the folks in this room that have been around church, if you're new, again, welcome. Glad you're here. I think most folks know that to truly follow after Jesus means picking up your cross and dragging it along the road after Jesus. Now, I would venture to say that most of us in this room are comfortable with the idea that to follow Jesus is to be willing to die with him. Philippians 1 says to live is Christ and to die is gain. So here it is. Here it is, church. Are you willing to also be known? Are you willing to step into a community that knows you? Are you able to be vulnerable enough to let people speak life into you? to keep you accountable despite how messy and embarrassing and difficult it is? Are you willing to let people push you to look more like Jesus? And are you able to confidently pour out yourself as an offering in community with others as God as the center? Most everyone is okay with carrying the cross along the road to die with Jesus, church. Not everybody is as quick to be fully known walking that same road. So church, let us be a community of people totally sold out on placing Jesus at the center. Amen? Amen. Let's respond together this morning. Would you stand with me if you're able? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that 
the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember church. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's pray church Lord you are good steadfast love endures forever. You are merciful, you are generous, you are powerful, you are equal to save. God, would you help us to be a specific branch of your church, of your body, the body of Christ, that we would focus on placing you at the center, that we would be a place known for a voracious, insatiable quality of love that is infectious, it is welcoming, it is generous, it is self-sacrificing, that demands us to change, to lay down our wants and our desires in order that we might look more like Christ. God, we're sorry for the ways that we take something good and we turn it to something selfish and self-promoting. God, would you change our hearts that we would seek nothing less than the promotion of Christ and the truth of the gospel and the dynamic inward reality that we are new creations, dead to self and alive in Christ. God, we love you. We respond now in your son's name.